There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Satan, you bow your knee. Satan, you bow your knee. You fall on your face. You fall on your face. COVID-19. guys i have a question okay okay uh do you guys like what percentage of the time do you guys uh sit to pee a hundred percent warren you don't like every so often you don't go hmm i wonder and oh, then, yeah. hey lauren lauren, and then lauren have you ever lauren have you ever stood on the seat just to see like what your range is like like you My could stand you, like... you could stand wait, over the toilet wait, and have wait, like a quarter wait. squat you know what Ooh, i could maybe that'll well, be... no 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 hold on what the fuck did you just say brian do you said, stand you stood on do you the, stand on the, on the seat? seat to see how much range you are you talking like pissing off the toilet while standing on the seat to like to see how far just, into the room you can piss? No, no, I'm talking yeah, about I think you'd fall over. how far it's you like, can It's like why even use the toilet the in that scenario? You I know, know that <laughs> it's not it's not an accuracy I wasn't asking it from like an a- accuracy challenge perspective. I was asking from oh. like a hey, have you seen if you could pee from really high up and it doesn't just like fan out and go pff, 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 like all over your legs and stuff. Mm, yeah, like get get like a nice like a jet beam stream. How do you think piss comes out of a urethra, Brian? <laughs> yeah, but like this. yeah, but yeah, but but I, Brian, if your pee is coming out like that, you need to talk. You need to you that, need to talk to a no. doctor. I take Brian's point no. because sometimes, no. sometimes I'll go uh, I'll pee and it's like it's straight line. Pee 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 to toilet, pee pee to toilet water, yeah. straight line. Yeah, and then other that's, days that's called that's called normal that's, pissing. That's, that's normal. And then other days, <laughs> less often than the than the normal pee pee days, is I pee and then and like three quarters of the way to the water, it starts to it starts to do what Brian was saying. It like fans out and like it's more of like a spray. Yeah, and I'm always like, Dude, how does like, that if, work? You see those waterfalls? You know, in in like is this uh, how we're starting in, this no, hey, episode? Hey, listen, listen to me, listen to me. You know, in the, you know, in the movie in I mean, like the movie Avatar when you see those like. Uh, oh. Like the waterfalls that are so high up mm, that the water, mm-hmm. as it falls, it just starts to turn into mist. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so I guess what I'm trying to ask is, Lauren, have you ever stood so high above the toilet that you've peed and it's turned to mist on the way down? Uh, I mean, no, but I'm getting to the point in quarantine where 
it's probably the next weird thing I'm going to do after I like cut my hair and shave off my eyebrows or whatever, just to mix it up, you know? I understand your question, Brian. It is a weird question. In the nature of, but the reason why I bring this up is because in the nature of being vulnerable, I, I just wanted to <laughs> oh, say, like, Jesus. I more often than not, and I, hey, listen, oh I didn't God. have a voice crack there, so leave me alone. Brian just veils um, everything in vulnerability. Yeah. If Brian if Brian didn't have a girlfriend and it was COVID, he would be he would probably be just sliding into DMs going, Hey, can I'm just gonna be really vulnerable right now. Can you send me some nudes? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what I'm trying to say and the, is and that... the girls that you should send that to, they'd go, That's so brave. <laughs> <laughs> You're so what brave. Of course say... I'll send you nudes. Guys, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that more often than not, I sit to pee and I'm proud of it. Because like why why should I is it like do you have to like put on this like is, manly is act a, of like, hey, I'm gonna stand up is to that pee a when like I can just relax? Is that a vulnerable thing, Brian? Yeah, is it vulnerable? To, to I think it's that? I think it would be considered um uh like as a stereotype it would be less manly to sit to pee. I sit to pee in I the morning so. and when I get up in the middle of the night to pee. I'm curious. Yeah, is sitting to pee like a I'm tired and I want a chill thing, or is it like a cleanliness thing or both? Definitely nothing to do See, with cleanliness. I, 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 the reason I, do, <laughs> the reason I don't sit to pee is because when I do, uh, my penis slides all the way down into the bottom of the bowl, and uh, and basically goes down the drain. So this is how we started this episode, and uh, I'm I I can't tell if I'm elated or if I'm like highly disappointed. Although you know what, speaking of disappointed. I do want to talk about this. This is Feel Good Friday. So, Brian, you know what? Thanks for starting with that because I was going to start with something else, which which isn't necessarily like uh, feel good vibes, but uh, it's something that I wanted to get your guys' take on because I found this to be I found this to be quite surprising um, I, I, and, and interesting and to be honest, a little bit of a bummer. Um, but I kind of get it. Okay, so this is a CTV News article uh, that came out um, yesterday. Um, or the day before yesterday, uh, Canadians divided over making COVID-19 vaccine mandatory. So this was a poll that was put out. Uh, the federal government has uh, committed tens of millions of dollars to help find or create a vaccine for the novel coronavirus that caused the COVID-19 respiratory illness that has infected at least 48,000 Canadians and killed more than 2,700. Yet a poll conducted by Ledger and the Association for Canadian Studies found that while 60% of the respondents believe people should be required to get the vaccine once it's ready, the other 40% think it should be voluntary. I have, that, some, I have some thoughts on this. That kind yeah. of, I mean, like, I, I get, I get like how, all right, give me your take, Tay, because what, what, I, I have a feeling I know where, where your thoughts are going to lie. Yeah, I mean, um, it's like I, I, even though, even though I would be, I'm in the camp of you should absolutely get this vaccine when it becomes available. Like you, you 100% should. The the and and I'm sh and I'm not going to say that everybody who is a part of this 40% saying we, they don't think it should be mandatory is thinking this way because I'm sure there's some f fucking turkeys out there that are going like you know I don't want to I don't want to fucking get aut get autism um, or whatever the fuck by getting this by getting a vaccine that you know some pharmaceutical company makes i'm sure there's people out there that think that or a, or a microchip or a microchip there, or whatever there the is fuck definitely or, those people or whatever those fucking conspiracy theories are yeah. there are people that think that shit but where i come from where i sympathize with with making it not mandatory is that it's not 
it, it's it's in a, it becomes an infringement on civil liberties and that the government sets a precedent for being able to tell the public what to do. And and right. and it does it's not and people see it and people hear that and go, well, of course, well, these people are fucking stupid because, of course, you should get the vaccine. And it's like, well, it's not actually about the vaccine. It's about civil liberties. And it's about what that means 20 or 30 years from now and how setting a precedent to tell the public it has to do something. It's legally mandatory to do something nationwide. What that means, so what, what that what means 30 thoughts? years from now what? and how the next thing after that, it sets the precedent for this. And then it's right. And then but, it's another but, thing. But Tay, what, thing, what were your thoughts? Thing. What were your thoughts on the meet on on in the U.S. in New York? I believe in New York State, they they made they basically made it law that if you didn't get your child uh, vaccinated for measles, which there was a huge swath of, um, I believe it was Hasidic Jews weren't going to get right, their kids yeah, vaccinated, yeah. and they were like, "All right, then your kids can't go to school. Your kids are not allowed to go to school, and if you want them to go to your to a school and receive an education." They must receive a vaccination. Now, do you, do you feel the same way about that? I think I do because I think that they they I mean, because they're going, OK, well, we're not going to make it mandatory for you to get the vaccine, but we will make it mandatory to have the vaccine if you want to go to school and participate yeah. in broad public. But it's almost like they, they do things. pigeonhole you into like not really having a choice right. in the, yeah, you're right. in the end anyway. It's like it's funny, though, because I agree with you, Taylor. Like, I agree that I don't think. I don't think it should be mandatory by law, but I think that everybody should do right. it. Absolutely. However, so like, but then like the next layer down, if I, if I ask myself, like if I think that the government should make it mandatory and I go the next layer down, I think, well, if they don't make it mandatory and just recommend that everybody gets it, they're not going to. Mm-hmm. So exactly. unless they make it law, then there's going to be swaths of people who yeah. don't get it yeah. yeah so it's like it's it's, it's even interesting though i think that they shouldn't make it law it's it's like, interesting because it's, it, it's it seems to be like it seems that people are you know I, this isn't just like the the standard uh you know annual flu which there is a vaccine for which they you know people should get their fucking flu vaccine coming from someone who's immunocompromised you should just do that for 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 me, you should do that for me and all the people that you know in your life that um, are immunocompromised. Because if I got the standard like like flu that happens every year, that could really fuck me up. Um, but now we're talking about something that is that is not only definitely affecting people like myself who are immunocompromised, but it's also killing anybody and everyone. Right? It's not like a discriminatory thing. And so I get it. I, I, and this is where I knew where you were going to sit with this day because I knew you were going to say somewhere along the lines of like it, it sets a precedent for, for, you know, it's a slippery slope. And if we, if we start allowing this here, then, you know, what else will we allow the government to do? And, but also I'm, it's like, I'm, I'm do, do you do, like, and I, 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 I want to say that I don't, there, I don't think I'm not saying that I am in one camp or the other. I'm saying no, that I, I think I know. I think I know what camp you're in. You, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. You know what? I think this, this is the camp that I think you're in. I, I want to get going for the economy. This, this whole thing is a hoax. This whole propaganda. It's a made up thing by the who, by the CDC, by Bill Gates. Do you like, do you want to have someone stick a microchip in your hand and, and track you from the cradle to the grave does that make sense it don't make sense to me but if that's what you like go with that maybe you can be the first in line for the vaccine and see how that works for you 
So you feel like the vaccine, right. if, they, if they create there, the There you go, Tay. That's, uh... Well, I mean, he's got some fucking compelling points. I mean, him and I, pretty much in the same wavelength, speaking yeah. the same language. So, yeah, all right, great. I'm glad we, I'm glad we uh, settled that. Yeah, yeah um, I'm with you, Tay. My body, my choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I've got. Okay. I've got the only pretty- woman here. I'm wow. playing the woman card. Oh fuck! You're playing it hard. Wow. Hard. You're playing it hard. Um, you know what? I really you know what, do. The- I am suspicious of the who. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, me too. But guys, I th- I think about like um I think about like the fact that we require driver's licenses if we want to drive a car. Like, it, you know, yeah. is that a fair comparison? Mm, like, yeah, we say that you, you can't legally drive a vehicle unless you get a license. So I mean, there's still the choice to not. It's a bit, drive it's a bit vehicle, of a silly. It's a bit of a silly comparison, but I'm 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 more on board with with what you're saying, Brian. You know, like I I think that I think that when it comes to when it comes to like global public health, I think these things should be mandatory. Yeah. And I and I, mean, I like you know I don't think I don't think that this is a um, I don't think that this is like oh yeah but the government the government. If you t- if the government tells you you gotta, it means the next thing they're gonna do is they're gonna they're, they'll take our children and our guns. You know, like I don't think that that's the well, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's the direction. No, it is. I heard you. So anyway, <laughs> we're gonna move on. Uh, we're gonna move on. Speaking of speaking of uh, fucking stupid opinions, um, let's. I, and I don't want to get too. Hey, too whoa, whoa, here. whoa! Hey, hey, uh, hey, uh, hey! Shut hey, up! No, no, shut no, no, shut no, up! No. Hey, shut your hey, fucking mouth! Hey, Taylor. this is. I have. Uh, I have intelligent thoughts about this. And, 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 and the, and the issue is, is that people will, people, the fact that, the fact that anybody is, is even willing to, to take that poll and say that they have, they have formulated a fucking thought process around this fully is fucking crazy. Like you, yeah, to, yeah, to, to, yeah, like to, to be, yeah. to, 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 to pick up a fucking phone call from some poll company, get asked a question and go, I definitely feel this way. About this mega complex question, fuck that entirely. Is, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is a complex question. Yeah, I mean, no doubt, no doubt. And You're being and, brave and vulnerable, just like yeah, that. you know what? Yeah, and I do. They're, they're, I, I, I feel people. like the courage that those people are displaying is admirable. <laughs> Volunteering their opinions, knowing that somebody like Taylor McGilvery is going to be just fucking shoving it right back down their throats. Yeah. <laughs> are very hey man, I have a private uh, life, but I got I got fucking opinions, okay? Uh let's let's listen <laughs> let's listen to the opinion of one of the most powerful humans on the planet. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous uh whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that has him in check, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right, folks who could. right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs, so it'd be interesting to check that. So that you're gonna have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. It's uh, tremendous. It sounds interesting to me. Dude, it sounds interesting. Tremendous dude, light, tremendous the, light, dude, and infect and and disinfectant. For injecting. such an ego ego driven maniac, he has zero clue how powerful he is. Zero <laughs> clue. He has it's, zero idea yeah. how when he yeah. says something on TV. 
with great ratings. That, tremendous that ratings. Tremendous ra- the, the best, best. ratings. Yeah, that yeah. people are listening to him and going, okay, yeah. I'll try that. It's, I like it, fucking- and also, but but also n- not knowing too, like the, like the ignorance there. It's you dude, don't know anything about dude. That. What he was what so he was suggesting there was like it's as if that's something that we would have joked about on here. And then and then and then he's yeah. up there on a fuck on the presidential yeah. podium at the White House going and you're gonna you guys are gonna you guys I mean I know that we were just joking about that but do you want to check do you want to look into it uh, you guys are, you guys are I know that I know it sounded ridiculous but but do you, is it cool can you guys can you guys we, t- check obviously it out? we need doctors doctor a team of doctors and they're in the doctors trem- I mean if you see the whole clip medical doctors you see the whole clip they, I saw one doctors. I saw one clip where it showed it had like picture in picture of him saying that and then one of the medical uh, like staff officials um, for the White House sitting there and like the look on that woman's face while he was saying this shit was like oh my god she was about to throw she up she was like oh my Dude, god I imagine, no 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 no, I imagine, no 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 I imagine that it would be like being a professional artist and standing there next to a baby who had painted a picture <laughs> and the baby is convincing everybody that this is art mm-hmm. but the professional painter is standing there going that's not art what and like it's just it's mind blowing the amount of ignorance that he has and how he's so confident in what he's saying, even though it clearly has no scientific value at all. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's painful. So so that actually happened. That was an actual thing that he said. And and that was this week uh, or I guess I guess a week ago. And um, and uh, there was a fucking influx of people. Mm-hmm. So. So. OK, so here here's my thing. And this is I'm directing this back to you, Taylor. Um, okay. This is you're you're why I think that you're you are the, pro, you're you're the what's, problem. You're the problem. You're the problem. You're the what's wrong with the problem. <laughs> okay. yep. You know, okay. all these fucking people, mm-hmm. all these fucking people listen to people uh, who who speak into a microphone, right. and mm-hmm. uh, and everyone just listened to the bullshit that came out of your mouth, <laughs> and now and now and now as a as a as a. <laughs> As as a um, as punishment, as punishment, as hey, you shut up. Hey, as hey. punishment, I want you to read to us what happens if someone actually ingests Lysol. Okay, okay. okay. I want to know what fucking happens. Um, okay, so if you now, I, okay. First of all, when I when I Google this, dude, the the effort that it took to find an article that was that that was published pre. Donald Trump comments about ingesting fucking disinfectant was super hard because <laughs> it's every it's on every news website on the planet. Um, but on Cora, uh, so the the question is, uh, can you die from Lysol poisoning? It says if a person ingests Lysol, give the and it says give the victim, <laughs> give the victim a glass of water oh, and God. seek immediate like medical. Somebody <laughs> came up to them and made them yeah, ingest yeah, it unwillingly. Yeah, <laughs> such as a president, a president of the United States. Uh, give the victim, a, give the victim a glass of water and seek immediate medical attention. Ingesting Lysol may cause nausea, vomiting, circulatory failure, respiratory failure, central nervous system depression, liver dysfunction, and kidney dysfunction. Oh fuck! Sounds like uh, it sounds. It sounds. It sounds eerily like um, what happens if you get COVID nineteen. Yeah, uh, dude, like skin contact warnings, eye contact warnings. Obviously, I mean they're on the fucking bottle. We've all read it. Um, and then, it, and then, <laughs> and then there's this, then there's this article that says, "What if you drink bleach?" Uh, <laughs> it's from science.howstuffworks.com. Uh, 
Um, and, uh, and oh my God, the poor fucking image for the article is a baby with a bottle of bleach in their hand. Oh my God. Oh, oh God, Jesus Christ. Well, what if I, you drink it, UV or you have UV light down your, inside your body and then drink bleach? Dude, you're just going to, that, 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 that works. That works. That is a tremendous You're just going to see a bunch yeah. of fucking bimbo guys and girls who go to tanning beds <laughs> on the fucking regular, just opening their mouth while they're in the tanning bed. Just going like, oh, this will <laughs> oh kill God. it. So you see a bunch uh, of people standing on the side of the road at a Trump rally with their mouths open on a sunny day, just looking up at the sky. Dude, Jar and I spent a month in Brazil at a place where people do that for real. <laughs> Actually, yeah, for real. Yeah, it's, yeah. No, not not even joking. They uh, they they would um, they would. What, what do they call it? They they called it light um, eaters. It was light called, eaters. Uh, no, no, but they, there was like a there was a thi- they were they photosynthesis. Like, yeah, they called themselves plants. Yeah, fuck, people. Kai. What were Kai? What were the, what were, what, were, what did they call that shit? When we were down in Brazil, the people who were living off the light, living off the light, living off the light, living off the light. And they they would do this. I'm not joking. Um, No one can see this, but you guys can see me. Someone explain what's happening right now. Watch. I'm going to do this in my living room. Okay. Okay. And and actually, I'm going to do it to the sun that's blasting through my fucking living room window right now. That's the only way that it works. So, Uh, Jared just moved into the sunlight. He's... uh, Arching his back and cocking his neck mm-hmm. and head forward towards yeah. the light, while opening mouth his mouth kind of like wise eyes. It's kind of like a money. Kind of like was, a kind of like a money was, shot. Yeah, like yeah. it's weird. He's not wearing any clothes. Honestly, though, it, so quickly? It, it was like something off of Midsummer. Like it, it was like this very fuck, dude. It was bizarre. Yeah, it, it was, was very so eerie and weird. weird. Yeah. Um, what a sweet movie, um, by the way. All right, so. Like I said, this is, like we say every week, it's Feel Good Friday. We're trying to make you feel good, not try not to bring you down. We're and I feel good. like there's been, a lot of, there's been a lot of bummer, all right, around at what, we've, what Taylor has revealed to us about his, his true feelings about, uh, about the health of, and, and general safety of everyone I'm, in our country. I'm not surprised, <laughs> honestly. Like, like neither first, he was, first, he's a flat earther, yeah. and now this. Guys, like, it's, called, it's, really, called, it's called surprised. thinking forward. It's called mm. zooming out. Uh, okay, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna. This is a perfect segue. You wanna hear a good story about zooming out and thinking forward, <laughs> please. A, a couple from India in a town or in a uh, province. What, what is what? What is what does India have? Pro- I think they have provinces. I the think provinces? that's what they call them. Uh, UP is the is what it stands for, and UP is Uttar Pradesh. Uttar Pradesh. You're Pardesh. pretty. You're pretty close, Brian. U- Uttar Pradesh, uh, UP couple names newborn sanitizer. Oh, I heard this. And says and says it's their contribution in fight in fight against COVID nineteen. Dude, close on the heels of a parent naming their newborn uh, as parents naming their newborns as lockdown and corona. Dude, a couple in Uttar Pradesh, about five hundred kilometers from here, named their newborn as sanitizer. According to the reports, the child was born in a private hospital in the town on Sunday. The father of child, uh, the father of the child, Umvir Singh, a resident of Vijay Vihar locality in the town, said that it was their couple. It was their contribution in the fight against COVID nineteen. Dude, how Quote, the fuck is that a contribution? Quote: Everyone is fighting against this virus, from our prime minister to ordinary people. This, in quotes, sanitizer is our contribution. Sanitizer is one of the best ways to protect oneself against contracting corona infection. We will remember this period whenever we utter his name, he added. 
Is that so, really uh, what you want to rem- like be reminded of when you summon is that your a, child? Is, is that a cultural thing? Like, is that a is that, like because I read this Maybe. and I was like, I don't know. That's really weird to me. But then again, culturally, like, is that something that people and is it sanitizer? Is that that, like, people is it, in India are like, well, it's not that weird. Is it's, it the English word sanitizer or is it the or is it the um, like Tamil or whatever the dialect is that they're speaking in the, in that region? Is it is it that 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 dialect or that language's equivalent? Because I, this fucking I don't know. this you this, you've been there. You've been there. I haven't. I don't know. Yeah, well, there's um, not a there's not a shit ton guys, of English being. Uh, I, I honestly, I don't know why around. we're talking. I don't know why we're talking about sanitizer when there's another kid named Lockdown. Right, Dude, yeah. <laughs> or that COVID. Is- At least that's positive. <laughs> that it, yeah, I I can't wait to meet the first kid named Gulag. That's I feel like that's 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 gonna be a fucking name for there's, sure. Dude, there's definitely kids named Gulag already. Oh fuck! Just are you talking? Right. Are you making Warzone references here, Jerry? Right, yeah, that was a Warzone reference right there. Anybody's fan uh, all right, listen, let's, I want to, so I've been, I've been scrolling through the internet, uh, trying to find things to like brighten my day. And, uh, I talked about this on our, our Patreon hangout last night. Um, uh, and if you'd like to join our weekly Patreon, Patreon hangouts, you can go to patreon.com slash sick boy. Um, and during our weekly hangout, I was telling the, the crew about my favorite subreddit that kind of makes my day, which is, which is, uh, the subreddit is, is r dash, um, D-G-D-A-G, which stands for Dogs Getting Dogs as Gifts. Anyway, it's the cutest fucking thing that you've ever seen in your life. A bunch of dogs getting puppies as as gifts. But then I, I also came across this video uh, today. And man, uh, this just fucking warms my heart. And, and here's the best part. You don't even need to see it. All you need to do is hear it. If you're at home and you want to see it, I, which I highly suggest... Uh, you should just go to Google and type in. You would never guess this is what a rhino sounds like. And this is two. This is two baby rhinos. All right. If you're just listening, this is what you're about to hear: two baby rhinos talking to some woman, kind of wanting her to pet their little noses. And this is the sound they make. Okay. Oh my god. Those are little dinosaurs. Dude, yeah. Wait for the end, though. Wait for the end. Oh, that was that much. not the greatest little that is, thing? That is so fucking the, cute. Those are like, the weirdest looking dogs I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Dude, they literally, Bigby is probably a little bit bigger than those guys. Dude, rhinos are fucking crazy. That was aren't, what, they, aren't they? That was one of the one, that was one of the animals that we, um, we saw, we saw on safari last year, but, um, it was really fucking far away. So we couldn't really get a good look. It was the only. It was the only one of like the big. Uh, I don't think I don't think you want to be too close to those fucking things in the wild. But yeah, man. but when you're they in the, when you're in the fucking car, they're you, they're you, chill. You ever, it's it's uh, hippo, it's hippos that are not chill. Rhinos. Did you ever see the rhinos, video of the rhino trying to flip the jeep? Oh no! I mean, I'm not. Gonna, oh, I'm not saying that they're 100% chill 100% of the time, but they're more chill. They're generally chill. 
I don't think so, man. I think you see a rhino, you better shoot that thing quick. Shoot <laughs> oh, it, Jesus shoot Christ. it before, shoot it before it moves. Yeah, especially one of shoot the black it. rhinos. I mean, like they're just That's there's right. way too many of those. There's way too many of them. We need to call yeah. them. Yeah, and you need to prove it too. Um, uh, all right, so uh, Bri, I think you had a little video that you wanted to cheer cheer us up with. Um, yeah, uh, I'm just gonna say this is a this is a four minute video, but uh, I I highly recommend anybody at home uh, go and watch this entire video. Yes. Oh, don't lick the gloves though. Oh, Patrick. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mask, gloves, soap, scrubs, tick yes. tock, grub, yes. hub, twings, yes. jocks, bears, yes. cubs. Zoom is the new club. Six feet, no hugs. Still beat these mugs. Sick beat, cut a rug. Joe Exotic is a bug. Kitty cat cat, tell me Carol Baskin. Where is the husband? Everyone's asking. Stimulus check, everybody better cash in. Mask and gloves, yeah, that's a new fashion. Girl, what did that girl just say, girl? <gasps> Girl, I don't go to work. work. I don't leave. I stay. Yo, that is actually the fucking this sickest song. Fucking tight. Yeah. That is who, so good. Who, who is this? Todrick Hall? This is, uh, I take it this is a RuPaul celeb? Yeah, he uh, he's one of the guest judges often. He'll do uh, music and oh. dancing challenges with the queens on uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. Todrick Hall is a legend. That is a... Uh, Right, do they have like an album? Do they? What's their? I don't know. Yeah, he about dropped it. an album, a whole album of coronavirus-related beats, just like this. Wait, one. dude, this came out. Oh my! Oh my God! It's got Queen. four quarantine queen. 000. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa! So this is a full-on album. Yeah, dude. He's industrious. Wait, this, Who, this, was this, this is gonna be viral. Who? I, we were talking about this the other day. It's I feel like I was viral, talking man. to you about Bri. I was talking to someone That's about crazy. like how, how like. The one of the one of the big upsides to this entire shit show that is COVID is the the art that's going to come from all of this. You know, like like there we're we're it's going to be so fascinating to see. So like this is an example, right? Music. I mean, we're already seeing music coming out. Like Pete Davidson and Adam Sandler just released a track, which was really like really enjoyable. Um, you've got you've got a fucking album here that's like all about quarantine, which is amazing. But then, like, what are the like? What are the movies gonna be? like? How is this going to shape us? How is this going to shape film? How is this going to shape like literature? How is this going to shape? Weren't um, you saying was was it in this conversation that we're about to throw to that we were talking about quarantine over history and how you know a lot of the great art of history came from um, periods of isolation. Yeah, maybe, maybe we did. I, you, I, I don't remember what we talked. You know what? I will say this. We're about to throw it to one of the, like the best. I think it was that drag. Dra- com- that drag com- was born out of quarantine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> in the Lazarettos. Yeah, yeah. Drag came yeah. from the Lazarettos. Yeah. I, I, honestly, though, we we are about to throw to like I, th- I what I what I truly think is like one of the most enjoyable conversations that that we've had on the show to date for myself. It was just really fascinating. Um, uh, Doctor Alex Chase Levinson uh, is a historian. And he's his his specialty is in in quarantine um, uh, from from like way back in the the like the 19th century. Um, I think like si- like 1600s to like 1800s. But so, you know, pretty broad span of time there. Um, but we talk about like the history of quarantine and where it all came from and, you know, how the, the things that we that we could potentially learn from the history of quarantine and things we've learned from in the past. And 
Um, you know, it's, it's always really fun to speak to someone who knows their shit, but then it's really extra fun to speak to someone who loves to nerd out on the shit that they already know so much about. Yeah. And Alex is definitely one of those dudes. Um, you know, he's, uh, yeah, this is just a really fucking cool combo. So in light of all the art that, uh, we are bound to see in the future, let's, let's, uh, take a moment now to appreciate all the things that we can learn from the past in, and, uh, in and, and, similar uh, times that we're currently in. And, and credit where credit's due to, uh, measly intern Lauren for, for, um, for scrounging, yeah, scrounging up this fantastic guest. Thank you once again. Yeah, Does this you d- mean you- I won't get my weekly beating? <laughs> well, we'll talk. We'll talk right, about that. Uh, we'll talk about that gonna, later. Nope. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that right now. All right, let's throw it to this week's episode. Uh, hope you guys enjoy this. And um, uh, like we like we say every week, we love you. We hope you're doing well. And uh, and come no join us on Patreon. Lord. We're having a we're, we're having a fucking ball. <laughs> we're having a ball there uh, with these weekly hangouts, and we would love to we would love to meet more of you listeners. So uh, www.patreon.com/sickboy. Uh, all right, enjoy it. Um, cool. Well. Hello, Alex. Uh, I, I should say Dr. Alex. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, Alex, um, uh, I'm really excited to talk to you because, you know, we, we, we live in it. We're living in like one of the most unique times of our lifetime. And I, I think it's safe to say that the word quarantine um, is it is a hot word. It's a hot word, right? Yeah, now. absolutely. <laughs> it's a word. It's a word that I think has like has completely changed its um, not its meaning, but it, it's it, the the weight of that word has shifted. I think for like the majority of the people who live on this planet right now, um, you know, the word quarantine five months ago meant something very different to to the world than it does right now. It's become way more personal. It mm. sure has. Yeah, big time. Absolutely. You know, I had a kind of hilarious experience working as a historian of quarantine when uh, in graduate school, I went to a conference that was called something like quarantine, you know, in in various ways. And I went and gave a talk about the history of quarantine. And no one else was talking about actual quarantine. And I heard someone with this loud stage whisper right after I started talking saying, oh, my God, he's actually talking about quarantine. And everyone else meant it for its kind of symbolic meaning. But, yeah, no, now we're all knowing what an actual quarantine is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I guess the thing that I'm really curious about is is what what is like. So, you know, you're you know, the ins and outs of the history of of that word. Um, And I'm I'm assuming the. The concept of quarantining, quarantining is that is that could we could is that absolutely quarantini? Okay, I think it's quarantini. <laughs> no, that, well, no, that's, at, that's, at, you know, five p.m. Perhaps. That's right. That's, that's this evening. Uh, the the idea of quarantining is not new. It's been around for quite a while. What what is the history of of the the uh, the act of quarantining? So the word literally comes from the Italian word quaranta for forty. Um, because 40 days was the kind of traditional term of quarantine um, when it first began. Um, It was originally a a border phenomenon, so um, something that port cities uh, set up for ships coming in from places where there might be epidemic disease. 
Um, so the first quarantines uh, as legal regulations came about in the 14th century um, in Dubrovnik and Venice. Um, and then as the kind of uh, waves of, of bubonic plague kicked around after the Black Death for another couple centuries, many other European cities around the Mediterranean adopted this. Um, so the period I, I work on in my research is in the 19th century when plague was extinct in Europe, but in the Middle East and North Africa, it was still a problem. Um, and so every single ship, regardless of whether there was plague or not, um, at any time coming from a North African or Middle Eastern city back to Western Europe, because most of the people coming that way were Western European diplomats or fishermen, um, colonial officials, merchants. Um, and uh, they, they had to be quarantined uh, for about uh, three weeks. Um, and that was just a regular part of travel uh, at all times. Uh, so it was a border phenomenon. Um, when there were other forms of epidemic disease, it spread. So during cholera, um, different European countries in America and Canada were uh, all setting up quarantines. Um, later in the 19th century, it became much more irregular and unequal, um, focused much more on immigrants, um, uh, you know, particular classes of immigrants. Mm. Um, I find, that, really, I find that incredibly yeah. interesting that that phenomenon of quarantining existed in, in like as early as the 14th century, because I, I, I have a huge fascination of history. And until we were gearing up to have this conversation with you, I'd actually never I'd never heard of that before. Um, <laughs> but it's I, I find it really interesting because like when I think back of what medical professionals or, or doctors would have looked like or the, the whoever would have been equal to a doctor in the 14th century. I yeah, tried to plague doctor, man. Those guys with the long noses, those big <laughs> long masks. But, yeah. So like what, so I, I'm so surprised that they knew or had this practice where, you know, they knew for like three weeks, people should stay isolated because they could pass on a, a virus or disease well, to somebody. Where, like, where did, where did the, the number 40 come from? Like how did they, was that just an arbitrary, it seemed uh, to decision work. <laughs> to, to like, oh, I, I guess this works, uh, you know, because yeah, like, I mean, and a lot of the time it, it didn't in the first years, you know, there were still plague epidemics that would get imported. Yeah, I, I don't mm. think there was any real kind of system that said 40 days was a must do. It just was traditional, you know, that that's a time of it's resonant. It, it recurs in the Bible. It has mm. a lot of significance, I guess, 40 days. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't think there was a particular idea that that was the incubation period of the plague. And in fact, it turns out the incubation period is way, way shorter um, you know, maybe probably not more than about a week. So uh, most quarantine was totally useless. But hmm. by kind of stopping shipping, by creating this kind of impediment, it probably did stop some epidemics from hitting uh, the countries that instituted it. When did they when did they um, I mean, I guess if you if you know that if, if you have the idea that you need to quarantine a population or or people coming into a port, there's also got to be like a general understanding that the people that they that people have something that's being passed around from person to person do you know do you know do you know what the t historically what what time what time period did people start going i'm getting sick because that person's sick like when did that start that's a great question i i mean i think it's probably really old the idea that um sick people have a sort of stigma and people you know feared them um, as a kind of explicit medical doctrine, this is from the 16th century, um, that the Italian doctor uh, Fracastorio uh, kind of formalized this in a work called De Contagi Contagione. Uh, you just like, made all of those words up. Can, fr fr <laughs> fr 
Frickin they Chachio. sound like contagion. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably did not say it right. Um, Your but, Italian accent's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> need some work. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a kind of articulation of an idea of contagion, um, and that got elaborated and kind of more accepted over the centuries that followed. But it was still really controversial. So in the period I work on, about half of doctors called themselves anti-contagionists. Um, and believed that no epidemic diseases could spread by contagion and that it was all caused by atmosphere, by changes of temperature, by winds, by kind of bad air coming up from the ground, um, putrefaction of things. So, you know, that wasn't something that really got settled until germ theory. So mm -hmm. until the 1860s, 70s and 80s. Uh, so people are really operating with a huge amount of uncertainty. Um, and that's something, you know, it's kind of similar to now, you know, all this uh, social di physical distancing was set up at a time when people don't really understand many basic questions about COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, what like it compared to it may, and maybe this is too broad of a leap, but like compared to quarantines in, in the 1860s to what quarantine looks like now, like what are some of the big things that have changed? I guess, is it, is it mostly surrounding the fact that we have a, a much better idea of how, how viruses spread and how bacteria, like, you know, germ theory and all those types of things? You know, we can visualize a, a virus, um, the, the image of a, a coronavirus um, particle, you know, is something we all now are super familiar with. Uh, we can see bacteria in a microscope, but I'm not sure that that matters all that much. Um, you know, that, 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 you know, every day we're still having stories saying, okay, well, you know, it's not clear whether uh, it can spread through the air, or it's not clear whether uh, if you recover from this disease, you're immune. And that's exactly the kind of question people were debating, you know, before there was any such thing as germ theory. Mm. Uh, so I, I do think that's pretty similar. A huge difference in quarantine, though, was, um, I mean, it's focused in, in the early 19th century on the border. So, um, you know, it, it happened, people are detained in big fortresses called lazarettos that are on the side of port cities in an isolated place or an island. Um, and, uh, you know, they had to stay there uh, for the whole time. And the whole goal was to have it not spread through society. So, uh, you know, the idea that we're all having our own quarantines, that's itself mm. a real difference. But this kind of intensive uh, focus on, you know, what is contaminated, what is safe, and rituals of washing and cleansing. And, you know, at that time, it was dipping things in vinegar and covering them with uh, smoke and aromatics and that kind of thing. It's it's not that different. I, I was gonna say, I've always known Lazaretto as a as one of my favorite Jack White albums. Uh, oh, yeah. But I've, I've never known where that where that term came from. But I, I, just correct me if I'm wrong. Did you just say a Lazaretto is basically a giant compound where they just stuck everyone who was in quarantine? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, well, that was, sounds like a fucking horrible idea. Well, I was going to ask, like, did they, that was my question. Did they, like, was there cases where everybody there would just get incredibly sick? Yeah. Well, that was a, an argument that people who opposed quarantine used a lot. Um, but most of the time, I mean, for one thing, it was very rare that an epidemic disease that quarantine was actually set, set up against, like plague or yellow fever or cholera, um, actually came to the Lazaretto. So, um, maybe 20 times in the whole early 19th century was there a ship with plague on board. And on those occasions, yeah, it spread a little bit, um, you know, maybe infected a couple of the Lazaretto employees on a couple of these occasions. But 
it didn't really spread widely in the Lazaretto, but they weren't healthy places, as your intuition is telling you. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were dying of diseases that they considered to be normal and acceptable, like typhus or typhoid. Um, they were very, uh, you know, not a healthy place to be, especially if you were poor and couldn't rent a nice room there. Now, what the what? the uh, the go ahead, Tim. There, um, oh, I just um, no, I have my train of thought. Oh, I lost it just as soon as we like you, as soon as our voices clashed. You, you'll get it back. I, I go ahead. I'm uh, Alex. I'm wondering. You know, this is uh, I, this is all really fascinating stuff, and and especially like in, in as like a as a place to narrow your study in 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 terms of history. What what drew like personally? What drew you to to the history of quarantine and and like the 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 time period that you're kind of focusing on? Well, um, in, a, in a kind of intellectual sense, I was really interested in the history of travel uh, and the history of guidebooks. And so mm. I was uh, working on um, early uh, 19th century guidebooks uh, for British travelers in Egypt. And I realized that these guidebooks often started with a whole long chapter about what to do when you're quarantined on the way back. And I thought, hold on, every single traveler, including these very elite travelers, had to go sit in a fortress, um, you know, for, for three weeks to a month in some cases on their way back to Europe. And then it turned out, yes, that was true. Uh, really, every single person um, who, who made this type of journey did have to experience this. Just, that just period. Incredible. Like they just had to. They just had to. It was just a ritual of traveling, you know. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. It's so um, sorry. Even if there was no disease, it's so, so different. It's huh. so it's so fascinating because it it's kind of like there you know there's no um, you know, coronavirus for example doesn't discriminate like it affects all classes equally um, or I shouldn't I shouldn't say yeah maybe I, not equally I shouldn't but it say does equally all but classes. but it does it affects all classes um, mm-hmm. but it's 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 interesting to say like here you say that when you were looking at these guidebooks it didn't really matter if they were um, these like elite uh, level classes of people who are traveling back or not, they all had to go into some form of isolation. Oh, absolutely. All in the Lazaretto. So really quite famous people like Lord Byron or Walter Scott or Benjamin Disraeli uh, did quarantine in, in Malta um, in the hmm. same place where, you know, thousands of sailors were doing it. But if you were rich, of course, you could afford to rent a suite of rooms, uh, pay a servant to do quarantine with you order very nice food from the Lazaretto restaurant. So it felt a lot different. Yeah, we, we see that today, like the Thai king who, uh, who, who, who's holed up in that Alpine uh, hotel oh, yes. with all of his concubines. Yeah, yeah I've seen some yeah. pictures of people's various you know, mansions of self-isolation. And yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. maybe even you know, more excessive. I imagine, I imagine historically, like they, 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 they're being, I mean, you can make, you can make the argument now that, that there's a class system uh, that's just as, strong as there was a class system uh mm-hmm. you know back in the day but um being you know from a historical standpoint and when you, when you're reading the literature it seems like it's much it's much more of a of a hard line in terms of class um i would imagine that they that they would that it would be even more so um uh necessary for people in upper class to quarantine because if you had because if you if you didn't and then and then you had all these uh, sort of high society people mingling with each other, and then white, and then all of a sudden, you know, like hot, like a like a big a big group of like first you know first class people uh, get wiped sure. out, and then you've got all these uh, you know d- d- dukes and duchesses that are that are uh, that are falling off the map. That would be a bad that'd be bad news. 
Yeah, well, so, you know, it's it's no surprise that this kind of uh, quarantine was was pretty popular at the time. Um, I got my question back from before. It came back in there my head. There you go. Good, good um, boy. Thanks. Thanks, Jer. Um, does, <laughs> now, it seems it seems like almost like a silly question to ask because it's a concept. Quarantine is a concept that, you know, through talking to you, we know we know that this is this is a concept that has been around for hundreds of years and has seen, you know, many different shapes and forms throughout the years. But it's something that persists. Um, to today and something that we find ourselves, most of us are in quarantine now. Historically, does it work? You know, do we look at quarantine as a successful sort of measure historically? Do we look at it and go, you know, it worked mm. when we did it then and we worked when we did it then and maybe not so much then. And where where are we on that? I think there are some clear examples where there's a record of a ship with the plague or with some other epidemic disease that came into a port and spread a little bit in a lazaretto and then didn't go further, where we can be pretty confident that if quarantine hadn't been there, um, it would have spread much more widely. On the other hand, the vast majority of the quarantine I look at, this whole idea that it had to be universal, that everyone had to do it even in times of good health, that was obviously a massive overreaction. Um, and it had some pretty negative consequences in terms of fostering some, you know, negative stereotypes and associations of the East in inverted commas with, um, mm. with sickness. Um, mm-hmm. The whole idea that the Ottoman Empire was the sick man of Europe was a phrase that would have resonated with a lot of people who had come to expect that that's where plague was. Mm-hmm. Um, so a much more kind of targeted and limited form of quarantine, I think, would have been uh, equally effective. But uh, I do think the idea, the kind of universal scale of this the idea that you're stopping everything, that did sort of work in the sense that um, it slowed down movement in such a way that it probably did stop some diseases from spreading. So, you know, I think the principle to take away from that is is when it's systematic and when it's equally imposed, quarantine can be one part of, of public health. Um, quarantine alone did not, you know, make, make many countries much healthier. Um, but that it has to be pretty fair um, and it should be pretty limited uh, and it can't go on forever. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. I, I know in your book you mentioned that uh, your book, the the Yellow Flag. You mentioned that uh, these lazarettos were kind of the foundation for um, public health. In what ways did they, like I imagine, setting up and establishing the the lazarettos in 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 amongst itself would be this like practice of, you know, trying to create these supports and regulations around um, public health, but. What were some of those initial practices that kind of became this foundation for public health? Well, so what's interesting is that public health campaigners, really famous ones from the middle of the 19th century, like people like Edwin Chadwick, who sponsored this whole rebuilding of of sewers in Victorian uh, London, um, all these people really opposed quarantine because they saw it as limited um, and uh, all about isolating sickness and not about trying to cure it through society. But what they used was this uh, precedent that the government could spend vast sums of money on a system that was there to guarantee the health of the nation as a whole. And so I think a lot about the growth of the modern state 
and about the way governments take on new responsibilities has to do with when a policy comes to be what we might call thinkable, uh, comes to be something that they think, okay, that's plausible and there's a, a system for that and a precedent. Um, and I think quarantine, especially in its robust and expansive uh, way of operating in the 19th century, did constitute that kind of example when people were formulating arguments saying the government really should invest a lot more money reforming public health. Mm -hmm. It's so what? interesting because it's really like a debate that still goes on today. Like you have people who say the government should support the 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 health of uh, the people. And then you have other people who are like that, you know, that should be your own individual responsibility, mm -hmm. especially... In the Especially United in the States. States, you know, where yeah. you are. <laughs> yes, well, yes, definitely more of a debate uh, in, in, the, in this country uh, that I'm in than, than the one you're speaking from. So uh, lucky you. <laughs> um, uh, one, like, I, and this kind of ties into the last couple of things we've been talking about. But like I'm I I take it that um, when when we get to the other side of COVID-19, um, we're we're going to see some sort of there, there's going to be some sort of like ramifications socially culturally that we're going to see i don't know what that is or what that might be um but historically what have we learned about like the changes that that society has seen after some sort of large-scale quarantine or some sort of large-scale like uh plague or illness yeah, I think the thing is, uh, one-off uh, pandemics do have a way of kind of passing into uh, oblivion sort of quickly in a, in a surprising way. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't seem that way now because we keep hearing uh, allusions to the Spanish flu in um, the, the newspapers and in op-eds mm. and everything. Mm. But uh, that has traditionally been referred to, uh, even by historians who work on it, as a forgotten epidemic or forgotten pandemic um, right. because it did just kind of... Uh, uh, pass, you know, it wasn't something people dwelt on that much in retrospect. It kind of got subsumed by the end of World War One, mm. um, and I do think that uh, if if the COVID nineteen quarantine just ends very quickly, if if the summer heat kills this virus more uh, than people expect, um, and it ends soon, then I think we'll all feel amazing and jubilant and forget about it. You know more or less uh, within a few years, um, not really totally forget about it, but not in the, in the way that it won't really create broad social change. Mm -hmm. If it's a longer thing, um, and especially, you know, now as people are kind of cottoning on to many of the inequalities that's showing up, I think it will lead to some effects. It will add kind of uh, gravity and momentum to calls um, for a more equitable public health system. Uh, certainly in the United States, where the the variance uh, racially and in terms of class is is really disturbing, um, in terms of COVID nineteen death rates. Uh, so I do think that corresponds to other epidemics in the past. People have called epidemics a kind of mirror for societies or a good way to look at social history because in a crisis moment, you can kind of see um, inequalities um, and problems, systemic issues that would remain invisible otherwise. Mm -hmm. mm. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, man, I just like I'm so uh, I, I catch myself thinking about that pretty much daily you know like it, it's it's one thing that i'm just so curious to to see you know how this all pans out and what this what this means for the future um globally and and like and and locally and yeah 
Hey. Yeah, locally. I mean, because, uh, you know, even aside from the kind of broad social questions or mm. things, long term trends that might contribute to just this question, you know, that I think everyone in any town or city is asking, like, is every business is every restaurant mm. that, you know, I bar that I went to in the weeks before this going to suddenly cease to be, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, how many how are people going to dig out of this kind of long suspension of normal life? And that is really hard to know. And maybe the local story is what people are going to notice the most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we were talking about but what you know the same way that <clears throat> the same way that kind of crisis mode can bring up um all these things that uh kind of un- unearth all these these issues um inequalities um that are happening that might have that might have just gone unnoticed for you know who knows how long or at least un- broadly unnoticed um you see we, we were talking to um we were talking to an economist a, a week or two ago and and on the flip side of that seeing how you know, we see we see government and policy as this like very slow churning machine that takes, mm. you know, it takes forever to get something moving and into place. And and we see now that that when, sh- when, when shit, shit hits, hits the, the fan, fan, it's actually yeah. quite the opposite. And we, you know, yeah. not that there's not holes in the in the things that we put into place. Of course, mm-hmm. there are. And I guess when you when you have to pull something together as quickly as it has been, you see those holes for sure. And. Um, and in different but countries, I mean, at least different. at least up here in Canada. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was I, wondering, like, yeah, is, was that like, economist? <laughs> Canadian? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. And we were speaking, and we were speaking really specifically to Canadian. I was looking the, at Alex's Canadian face. Subject. I was looking at Alex's face while you're saying that, and I was going, right, right. We're from Canada. This is very. Di- it is a very different machine. It's kind of a mess here. Yeah, yeah. I no, also, it, yeah. I also do want to put the, the, an asterisk on that thought too, Taylor. That like, even though. Um, when you look at the policy that's being created right now and you can find holes in it, I think for the most part, it's more effective and better than we thought we probably could have done in the same short amount of time Mm. um, that, that, you know, we've enacted these policies in comparison to what we would have thought possible before this crisis happened. Yeah. And, and one of the things is that it's like, it's, it's, it seems through all the conversations that I've listened to of people, you know, talking about, how it's handled politically, how, how, how medical things that get implemented, financial things that get implemented. It's sort of, it ends up being at the end of the day, a sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't kind of mm-hmm. conversation, which is like, you know, it seems like everybody is stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to making decisions in, in a, in a time, in a time like this, where you have to shut down, you know, where you have to quarantine going back to the, you know, the, the, the original topic of our conversation. It's a, it's a, uh, it's an extremely complicated and messy and messy time. And, um, I'm, I'm wondering, I guess, uh, to, to kind of formulate a question around this is, um, you know, as from a historical standpoint, from a historical view, we can kind of look back and in your work, I'm sure you look back at that and it looks, you can look back from a long, long time. Um, you're looking back a long time in the, in the past and you can look at that and say, Okay, this is all, everything that happened, and because it's historical, and you have the clear hindsight picture, it seems sort of clean. In the present, it's a little bit more messy um, yeah. as we go through it. You know, what do you think? We're what do you think uh, from historical from a historian's uh, viewpoint? You know, we're going to be looking back at this twenty, fifty, seventy five hundred years from now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that people are really trying now when they when they bring up historical examples and they really have to you know this is a time when it which feels great um being a historian because the the evidence that everyone's talking about is only historical because we've never you know dealt ourselves with anything like this Mm. before 
Um, you know, people are now, when they talk about, say, the history of the Spanish flu, trying to compare what different cities did. The fact is the epidemic did have its own kind of timeline, and it was better or worse in certain places because of, of social distancing measures that were taken, um, but not totally. Um, and that it, some of it is still mysterious. And it also wasn't quite as long as some people are suggesting. So, you know, the really intense bad period of the Spanish flu was five or six weeks in the fall of, of 1918. And, um, and there was a later second wave, but the time that there were all these closures and, and kind of dramatic descriptions of it, it's this concentrated period. So, you know, this feels pretty long in, in historical terms. Um, and, and so maybe something you do see looking back is, uh, no one really does this perfectly. Every city, every country that grapples with an epidemic, there are exposés of things that could have been done better, things that were missed. Um, and uh, it, it, epidemics have killed you know, millions of people over time. Uh, some of it is luck and a lot of it is stuff we just don't understand. You know, why certain diseases take hold in one place really badly and not in another. Um, and I'm not sure we'll ever, at least in the in the near term, be able to answer that necessarily about this current epidemic either. Based on um, you know the the way that the world is now compared to what it was in in 1918, how accurate is it to compare the way the Spanish flu um, affected the global population to the way that COVID-19 is affecting us now? Like we're we're so much more connected it's easy for somebody to hop on a plane and fly you know halfway around the the world in 24 hours um is is it an accurate comparison yeah i mean that's a really good question I, you know in some ways you'd think this would just speed everything up now um and uh and certainly that's true the way in which it was only a few weeks after um the first well we now know looking backwards that um uh though it wasn't clear at the time that the first uh, at least here in the U.S., the first death from COVID was in early February. So really only um, a little bit of time, you know, maybe a month after the, or a month and a half after this started to be in the news. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's um, a facet of air travel. And, and all the cities that have been worst hit um, have been places where there are major airports. And then it's kind of spread outwards from from there. Yeah. Uh, so definitely, I think air travel is a unique feature of, of this current epidemic and the, the fast moving uh, aspects of it. You know, one thing I don't I don't know um, that could be encouraging about that is if more countries have experienced this at the same time, maybe it won't be slow moving. Maybe it won't be something that keeps coming back around to hit. So maybe the future waves of this will be less destructive um, if kind of so many places in the world are grappling with this all at once. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because like we have an ability now to use technology to communicate and, you know, use technology to uh, test and identify um who might actually have the virus probably a lot earlier and faster than than we did 100 years ago. But at the same time, you know, we are, again, like so connected by air travel and, the, um, you know, even vehicle travel and, and uh, transit ac across country on land is, is, is much faster. So, you know, there's like these pros and cons to the present day situation that that yeah. add for these like unique factors in, in comparison. And, and a lot of uncertainty. So though we have a test that seems very scientific and, and you know, like there something something that would be definitive, uh, we keep finding out there are false positives, there are false negatives, there are huge mm. numbers of cases that aren't being counted because of asymptomatic people. So how much better is this really than in previous centuries when they try to look <laughs> yeah. and say, you know, do you have a, a, a bubo, yeah. therefore you have bubonic plague? Um, I don't know. Uh, this this is such a kind of mysterious seeming 
disease and the way it affects people so differently. And previous previous centuries also didn't have to worry about uh, the effects of 5G. Uh, but that, that, that's a, that's another that's a that's another episode Very down the road. Um, that's, uh, that's our science. That's our scientific ew. deep dive for next week. Ew, that's uh, gross. I feel gross. Uh, <laughs> um, I you know one one thing that that makes history so uh, so interesting for myself uh, is is the you know we're we're the three of us are storytellers. Like that is our that is our our our. Um, our specialty, our bread and butter, and and I've I've always had a, a deep love for really good, rich stories. And I'm sure, as a historian, especially in, in a historian that is is looking so deeply into the world of, of epidemics and, and pandemics and quarantines, um, have you like have you come across any any like quirky anecdotes, historical anecdotes that that stick out to you um, that deal with this particular topic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as you might imagine, the Lazaretto as a space of isolation and decontamination was uh, a one that freaked a lot of people out. Um, so we have travelers uh, thinking they heard ghosts. Um, this guy, uh, John Henry Newman, who uh, became this very famous convert to Catholicism and a cardinal in, in Britain, uh, when he was a young man, he did quarantine in, in Malta, and he was obsessed with the idea that his room was haunted. So he kept, he has written many kind of long letters to his sister describing the exact tapping noise and saying he measured the thickness of the stone and it must have been, uh, you know, a ghost that, <laughs> that produced this noise. Um, the kinds of bizarre uh, theories and ideas people think of of how to, to deal with the plague, the sort of stories they're telling themselves about, you know, you should be scared of this kind of animal, but not this one. Um, during cholera epidemics, when they hit uh, Western European cities, the kinds of uh, cures that some people were suggesting, uh, actually here in the U.S., um, and, and this is an anecdote that uh, is, is, you know, somewhat disgusting, but I think there's a real point of resonance with coronavirus uh, uh, during cholera. And this is an anecdote I got it, it, uh, from Charles Rosenberg's book, The, the Cholera Years. Um, there's a New York uh, medical board official who actually suggested that you should stuff um, suppositories, uh, like hard things into your rectum uh, to stop diarrhea from coming out. You know, and this sounds incredibly similar <laughs> Plug to it uh, what, you know, sense. a certain yeah. uh, American president uh, theorized <laughs> yeah. about uh, injecting disinfectants or yeah. a, a Florida health bureaucrat actually suggesting you should take a hairdryer and blow it up your nose to kill coronavirus particles. Oh, my particles. God. That was <laughs> so wild. Yeah, so, that was wild you know, to see that. How could there be climate change? <laughs> <laughs> I've got this snowball right here. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, but I get it though. You know, you stick something hard up there; it's going to be hard for something to come out. So maybe, <laughs> maybe sense. he was onto something. I don't know. It makes kind yeah. Of sense. Well, you see, in a crisis like that, everyone's rooting around for anything that can yeah. kind of seem like a miracle cure. And I understand that impulse. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, uh, I guess here's to hoping we do find that miracle cure and. Uh, and to hoping that it has nothing to do with shoving giant hard things up my ass. And um, now a message I, from our sponsor, Faisal. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex, I want to I wanna thank you, man. This has been uh, a really wonderful conversation. And um, uh, yeah, it really means a lot that you took some time out of your day today to, to share the history of quarantine with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. It's been fun. Well, there we go. That was our recording with a history nerd. And he loves what he does. And we love him for it, too. 
And we all love history, and you should too. Okay, fuck. I Sounds think, like a terrible I Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I think everybody just uh, stopped listening oh. to the podcast, so there's no point in us signing Well, off for now, anyone so. still listening, we'd love to end this episode with a little bit of love for all of our sweet, sweet, sweet sexy patrons all of you mm. you're all sexy mm. whether you believe it or not mm. um because you are supporting us in ways that you you are our sugar daddies and sugar mommies and so we mm. want to give our sugar daddies and mommies and people um a big shout out of love <laughs> and so and uh, and if you're a fin dom and you want to get fin dommed then <laughs> join our patreon join our, oh, join our patreon we'll dom we'll oh, fin dom you we'll fin dom you dom you until the until the bank runs dry thanks Brian. why don't you give some thanks to all of our new april patrons which there's quite a few Ah, oh, thank you so much to Donna, Sarah, Madison, Radost, Helena, Rana, Shaylin, Caitlin, Neil, Heather, Taru, Jordana, Jill, Shaylin, another one, <laughs> Mary Rose, Kimberly, Deirdre, Caitlin, probably another Caitlin, Melissa, Alex, Nicole, Christina, Haley, Rosie, Torsten, Megan, Danielle. Ellen, Caitlin, Amy, that's like the third or fourth Caitlin. So if your name's Caitlin, you definitely better be a Patreon supporter. Uh, Amy and Sue. Sue. What about Sanitizer? Uh, sanitizer hasn't isn't old enough yet because the, they were just born and they don't have a credit card. But if you do have a credit card and your name is Sanitizer, uh, go to www.patreon.com slash sickboy and you can support us too. And, uh, you know, wh- while I was, I just wanted to say too, while I was reading on some of those names, I, I can't help but uh, recognize a few of those names from uh, some of our recent Zoom hangout uh, uh, peeps that have been joining us on our uh, yeah. Wednesday night hangouts. And uh you know, it's been really cool having new people on that call. So if, it's, you're, if it's you feel always, like you're missing out, yeah, you are. Yeah, it's always mm-hmm. fun to see, to put a face to our to our sugar mommies, daddies, and people. Um, and one such one such patron that has been hanging out with us on our Wednesday nights is Kat. And Kat left us just a, a, a wonderful uh, testimonial, uh, testy, as we've uh, been calling it over the past 10 or 15 minutes, um, <laughs> in, with, with quite a jovial nature. Um, so here is this wonderful, wonderful testy from Kat, who we just enjoy so much seeing every Wednesday on our Patreon Hangout. You're going to do Kat it in says, her voice, right? You're going to Kat says, says, <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it, do it, Kat do it says, with her accent, too, because we all Kat, know she has an accent. Kat says, so much fun watching how creative and funny everybody is. It's very uplifting since my work takes up so much of my time and can get tedious near the end of the month where I pretty much hate everything. It helps break up the week and puts a bounce back in my step. <laughs> that was the most racist Japanese accent I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, thank you all. That wasn't a Japanese. Whoa, hey. Thank, whoa, whoa, whoa. thank you all hey, so yeah, much <laughs> for tuning in. We hey, love whoa, you guys. Whoa. And uh, listen, uh, wash your hands and hug your pets and uh, stay safe out there. And uh, every Friday, we'll be back with another Feel Good Friday episode to put a smile on your face and to maybe teach you something. Uh, teach you, to, you'll learn more about the, the world, the, the, the status of this disease that's, that's invisible out there, killing people left, right, and center. And you'll learn more about um, how the hosts of this show think and, and, how, and how one of the, mm-hmm. the three mm-hmm. out of the four of us, one of the four of us, 
is, thinks critically. Uh, is, is an absolute is, is anti-government is an anti-government conspiracy the situation yeah, yeah. conspiracy mm-hmm. thinks deeply yeah so thinks deeply uh, zooms out thanks about all aspects we love y'all mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see you next week uh, I'm vulnerable, Brian. Oh, for fuck's sakes. I'm all right. All right. I guess we got to close out the way we normally do. I'm Jeremy. Oh, I'm Lauren. I'm peace-sitting down always. Uh, I'm brave Taylor. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is so cool. <laughs>